Welcome again, everyone. We're so glad that you're with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. Love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting with us online. We're happy that you have found us online today. We are continuing a series today. Actually, we're finishing a series today. We've been in for quite a while called Be Encouraged. We've been going straight through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today, we're going to be in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want you to be turning there, pulling up on your smartphone or tablet, uh, And if you're connected online today, let us know you're connected. Let us know you're there, where you're connected from. Just put a little note there in the the chat chat section. If you have any questions, just enter those questions there. Before we get to 2 Corinthians 13, I wanted to lead into it by thinking back a little bit to when Jesus had been arrested and put through the mockery of a trial. And in John chapter 18, John records for us that that he was taken before Pilate, of course. And uh, Pilate was struggling with what he was going to do with Jesus. Uh, His wife had warned him not to have anything to do with this man. And he wasn't sure exactly the best way to handle it. Now, if you know the whole story, you know that he tried to wash his hands of it and all that. But but part of the story is a really good lead-in to what we're talking about today. He's talking to Jesus and uh, trying to get Jesus to answer his questions. And he, he asked Jesus some things. And he asked Jesus more about who he was, really. And are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus is answering in a way to make Pilate really think about what he's talking about here. He, he has him vlogged. He, he does all this stuff to try to justify, you know, he, he's punished enough. I don't even know that he's done anything wrong. But then he, he, he talks to Jesus and he says, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the one they say you are? And he says, it is as you say. In other words, yeah, it's, it's like you're saying. And then Jesus went on to tell him, though, anyone who wants to know the truth listens to me. Anyone who wants to follow the truth listens to me. And Pilate asked this question. He says, what is truth? And today we live in a world where it's becoming harder and harder to filter through the junk and get to the truth about everything. I mean everything. And so this is a message today as Paul finishes up this letter on how we as Christ followers need to be willing to stand for the truth in the middle of all the junk that's out there. And and I think a lot of Christians want to do that. And I think many of us feel like we are doing that, but maybe we're not doing it quite the way God wants us to. And, And the way that's most effective for the cause of the truth. And so... What we're looking at in the last part of this letter, Paul's dealing with trying to close up this letter and and finish up everything he's been trying to warn them about and encourage them to do. Uh, Even though they made a good start since the first letter, there's still things they haven't really followed through on like they needed to, and he's encouraging them to take those next steps. And, And today we're going to look at how he encourages them to either get back to or stand firm in the truth that God wants them to be standing in. And we're going to look at five things here that he teaches us that we need to do when it comes to standing 
for the truth. Things we need to remember, things we need to be convicted of and encouraged to move forward in. The first thing today is this about truth. Truth requires confirmation, doesn't it? It requires confirmation. The, uh, the problem with truth is, is almost all the different views you're hearing today claim to be what? The truth. They claim to be true. So the most confusing thing you could do is just say, when you hear that one, well, that must be true. They said it was. Or you hear this one, well, that must be true. They, they said it was true. You know, you go from one to another, and then you end up confused because they don't agree with each other. So there needs to be this process of the confirmation of truth. Now, that's nothing new. It's always been that way. When Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he's trying to convince them, as he finishes up this letter, to make sure they go through the process of confirming the truth. Look at the beginning of the chapter 13, verse 1. This will be my third visit to you. So we know Paul has written this next letter. He sent it on ahead. And when they get that letter, they're going to read... Uh, he's already told them before in the letter, I'm coming to see you again. And Paul is reminding them, this is going to be my third visit with you. And what Paul wants them to do is to get things in order before he comes. And one of the ways they need to do that is by this. Listen to what he says. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. He's really just quoting from the old law. God had given his people in Deuteronomy and the law the same instruction that everything must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, why is that a big deal? It's because anybody can say anything. Just look at Facebook. Everybody's become an expert. Everybody knows what everybody else ought to believe about something. And they'll gladly tell you behind the cloak of Facebook where you can have no face-to-face -face attacks, right? You can say anything you want and, uh, until the Facebook police get a hold of you, right? And then they can stop you from saying anything else if they want to. And I understand how you get upset when Facebook blocks people that you think are telling the truth about things. And you're saying, well, they just don't want people to hear the truth. Here's what you need to know about Facebook. It's a free service being provided by people who own the rights to it. They have a right to put on there anything they want or take off anything they want. You need to know that. Now, I don't like some of what they do, but it's not my platform. If I want one, I can do what I want to on. I have to start my own platform. I'm not doing that. Too much trouble. Right? I understand the frustration with that because so many people think they're getting their news and their information and their source is Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whichever one they're on, right? And, and the problem is, how do you know if they're telling you the truth when they put something on there? They can make it look really official. They can put all kinds of little, you know, uh, uh, symbols on there that make it look like it's from an official source, a reliable source. And they can even copy and paste those guys. You don't know that they're the real deal. It's easy to steal those things off of Facebook. I steal memes off Facebook all the time. Don't you? So the truth has to be confirmed. It requires confirmation. 
Deuteronomy 19.15, he started, God started that with his people. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. God is concerned and has been the whole time from the very beginning about how people can promote things that aren't true and have gullible people accept it and believe it and act on it. Especially when it comes to justice. I don't know how many of you have been. I have been in my life many times as a pastor falsely accused of things. Maybe you have too. It's not a good feeling, is it? What if the people hearing those accusations don't bother to check it out? What if they don't bother to, to, to dig a little deeper, ask some questions? Maybe even talk to me if it's about me. I can't tell you the number of people that got mad and left the church who never talked to me about it at all. Never even asked any questions of me or the other leaders here. They just got mad because they heard something and thought something and wanted to leave the church. It's sad, isn't it? I mean, it's not even the way God says for us to do things. It doesn't mean sometimes the rumors aren't true. Sometimes they are. But how do you know until you check it out a little more? Right? Some of what I was accused of was true, and I was proud of it. Because it was stuff that I thought God wanted me to be doing. Like calling people out on sin, you know, that kind of stuff. Right? I don't mind being accused of that. But here's the problem. It gets harder and harder to fact check things, doesn't it? Because, as we said a couple of weeks ago, even the fact checkers have been shown not to be right a lot of times. You know, when they put up the little official fact check, this is partly true or not true at all, right? When they put that on, on one of your social media feeds, and you're thinking, well, then it must not be true, right? It's, it's only half true or whatever. It's not really the real deal. Well, the fact checkers get it wrong sometimes, too. So when it comes to truth... We need to go through this process of somehow the best we can do to confirm what is true and what's not. There was a science teacher that decided to conduct an experiment to show his students the benefits of a healthy lifestyle, right? So he got these three jars, and in one jar, he sealed up a, a smoke from cigarette smoke. Okay, he had that sealed up in a jar. On another jar, he, uh, he put some alcohol, just uh, uh, like a really strong, powerful whiskey. He put that in that jar and sealed it up. Uh, and, then, and then in another jar, he just put some good, clean dirt. And so he had those jars out in front of his class, and he put an earthworm in each jar. They came back and checked it a little while later, and here's what he found. Uh, at the end of the week, the earthworm and the cigarette smoke jar was dead. The worm in the, the jar with the alcohol was dead. The one that had the good, clean dirt was alive and thriving and doing well. So he asked his class, now, what do we learn from this? And a young student raised up his hand and he said, it's easy. If we smoke and drink, we won't get worms. Don't think that's what he was going for. You see, you can look at some things and think that's the evidence for what you already want to believe anyway. 
Right? Sometimes when you say you're trying to discover the truth and check things out, what you're really trying to confirm is that what you want to believe is right anyway. You already made up your mind what you think. Now you're just trying to get people to agree with that to make you feel better about believing what you believe. That's not really confirming what's true. That's not the process. When it comes to confirming truth, that all really comes down to having, having a source that you've checked out really well and you're convinced I can depend on the source to tell me the truth about things. Now, for me in my life, this is something I really, at a certain point in my life, started taking very seriously. Who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to have confidence in? What source am I going to base my life on with the decisions that I'm making in my life? I hope you've thought seriously about that, too. If you haven't, it's time to start thinking about that. Because there's a whole bunch of different voices coming at you all the time, right? A lot of different sources coming at you. So what witnesses, he says, truth needs to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Well, that, again, causes you to have to go through the process of thinking, well, who are the reliable witnesses that I can have confidence in? Because not all witnesses are reliable, right? Like if there was an accusation against me, you might think, well, let's ask Randy's wife about that. Well, my wife, hopefully, will... You, you know, have my back. I'm counting on that, right? She has for a long time had my back, and that's a good thing. But she's going to be a little bit biased toward me, right? So, so maybe, even though that may be one good source, it shouldn't be your only good source if you've heard something about me and want to check it out. Maybe there's some other sources that that aren't that emotionally connected to me, but who know me well that you could talk to about that thing that you've heard. So you could check it out with them. Now, you could come to me too, right? But naturally, if, if, if I'm accused of something and I don't want it to come out, I might try to hide that. So you could talk to me, you could talk to my wife, but maybe there's some other sources close, uh, people who know the situation, who know me, who know the circumstances of what we're talking about here. You talk to them. Right, two or three people that you feel like are reliable people to talk to about something. Well, when it comes to the big things in life and me trying to determine what's true, I think as I searched and looked, it came down to this. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then that sets him apart from everybody else when it comes to telling me the truth about things. If he really conquered sin and death, that he's not like any other teacher out there. He's not like any other source out there. If he really conquered the grave, and he lives today and reigns today as, as, as the Savior at the right hand of the Father who's going to come back again, then of all the noise out there, I am going to drill it down to what did Jesus say about that? Because in my life, he speaks with the highest authority of all the sources. Well, how do you check out the resurrection? Well, the testimony of two or three witnesses, right? The witnesses to the resurrection are hundreds. 
I mean eyewitnesses, not just people who, who heard about it later. I'm talking about actual eyewitnesses. Over 500 at one time, plus all the others that are mentioned in Scripture, witnesses to Jesus alive again after they killed him and put him in his grave. How do you know they're reliable witnesses? Well, there's some tests you could put on witnesses. One of the tests is, you know, are they, have they shown in the past to be trustworthy people? And the apostles and the others had shown a lot of that. But there's another great test you do with eyewitnesses. Were they really there, right? And they were. The next test is, did their story change over time? And the answer is no, their story didn't change over time. It was the same. But the greatest one to me is, even when threatened with their lives, their stories didn't change. You add to that another element of a trustworthy eyewitness. They had nothing to gain by telling you that that's what they saw and heard and experienced. In fact, not only did they have nothing to gain, they had everything to lose to stand up for that testimony. That's strong eyewitness testimony, friends. And then you add to that the other witnesses and other testimony that you've got, the fulfilled prophecies and, and the way Jesus changed lives and the way his word is still changing. I mean, all those evidences, the, the Holy Spirit coming to empower them to begin the church and the growth of the, all of that witness upon witness upon witness and testimony upon testimony. I believe and I hope you are convinced that Jesus is the source of truth for you so that you can sort through the weeds and the garbage out there and get down to the truth. Because you need to know the truth about stuff. And if God is the loving God we read about in Scripture, he wants us to know the truth about stuff. So he tells us in his word, here's what's true about life and love, about marriage and about children, about parents. He tells us the truth about that stuff. So you have to determine for yourself. You need to confirm what's true and what's not true. And I believe that we have the greatest fact-checking tool in the history of the world right here. I believe this is the greatest fact-checking tool in the history of the world. Here's the problem. Most Christians are going through the life with all the stuff being yelled and screamed at them without knowing what this really says. I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about people in the church. It's bad enough they don't have a clue what the Bible... I love when they try to tell me what, what the Bible says and they don't know anything about the Bible. It's, it's almost humorous sometimes how, how much they get it wrong, uh, how they've heard things and, and, and kind of know a version of what the Bible says. It's not really what it says and they tell you that. But, but people in the church aren't really up to speed or very clear on what the Bible really says about a lot of this stuff. See, the only way to protect yourself is to confirm what's true and not true, and this is your fact checker if you are a Christ follower. You need to get into the Word. You need to seek out what the Bible says. If you're struggling with a subject, here, here's a good place to start. Go to a concordance and look up that subject in Scripture, a concordance of the Bible, and just start reading every verse that talks about that. And then they'll give you other verses connected to that verse, and you go there. And you can go as deep as you want to go. Just keep going. And get clarification on that subject. It's there. See, the Word of God is living and active. And it's also the source that allows us to have all the equipping we need to do all the good stuff God wants us to do while we're here. So we need to confirm the truth. 
Well, here's the second thing about truth that Paul reveals to us here, and that is that it necessitates confrontation sometimes. Look at verse 2. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. Oh, but preacher, you should always make us feel good. Oh, but pastor, we, we don't want anybody telling us something's wrong with our lives, right? We want our pastor to, to really just always encourage and always build us up and always tell us it's all good. There are people who want their pastors to do that, of course. Now, I'm not saying Lakeshore is like that. You haven't been. You've been great receiving the teaching of the truth here. I love the church family, and so many are just students of the word who are really seeking the truth, and that's great. But there's always some in the mix that just, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. But the role of the church in the world is to be partly, not the only role, but one of the roles God has given the church is to be that beacon of the truth of God to the communities where they are, where they exist. We need to be the beacon of truth in our communities. Here's why. Where else are they going to really hear this word so that they can use it as a fact checker out there in the world? What other source is there? That's going to give them this when they're seeking the truth. It's not out there anywhere else. So if the church is not doing it, then there is no source of truth for the world, for the community, for the culture. That's part of what God's called the church to do. Remember when I say the church, I know some of you are still thinking the pastor, the elders, the building, right? The place, what's the church? It's us. You're supposed to be part of that beacon of truth to your community, to your family, to your friends, to your workplace, to wherever you are, wherever God has you. You're supposed to be part of that source of truth, which means when people are just saying crazy, ridiculous things out there about God or about the church or about Christianity or about life, somebody needs to be willing to confront that. And who has God called to do that? Us. Man, this is the hardest thing God's called us to in my book. Because you love people. You should. I hope you love people. Hope you love your coworkers. But here's the thing. You want them to love you too, don't you? You want them to be happy with you. You want them to have this friendship with you that continues over time. And that's a good thing. But one of the most unloving things you can do is have them speak absolute lies and never confront it. Have them believe untruths and never, never try to correct it. Because when they don't know the truth about things, they can go down a path that hurts them and the people they love. And man, it does so much damage when they believe the lies. And I don't want to get to the end of my life, and you don't either, I don't think, where you get to the end, and they get to the end of their life, and they don't ever learn the truth about those things, and they're lost forever, and we could have said something. We could have confronted the lies, but we were afraid to because they may not like us anymore if we do it. Confrontation is tough. There was a book uh, several years back by David Osberger that was entitled Caring Enough to Confront. 
Caring Enough to Confront. I like the title. I thought the book was okay, but the title is great, right? Caring Enough to Confront. Do you care enough for your friends and your family to confront the lies? Because here's the thing. Who's the source of the lies? Satan is. So when you confront the lies, remember, you're confronting Satan, not those people. Those people have been deceived by Satan. The one you're really confronting is Satan. Now, they don't always receive it that way, but that's really the enemy. It's not the people. It's the lies of the deceiver, Satan. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus gives us some instruction here. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and do what? Point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor over the years, someone has called me or emailed me or, or talked to me face to face and said, you know, my brother or my sister or my coworker, somebody, they're off into some bad things. Here's what they're doing. Would you talk to them for me? <laughs> and my first question is always, have you talked to them? Have you talked to them at all about this? Because what's the first step from Jesus that we're supposed to take? You go to them directly and talk to them privately, by the way, he says. You don't make a show out of this. You don't try to embarrass them in front of anybody else. That's not what you're trying to do. You're going to them out of love and concern for their lives, and you talk to them directly. Boy, that kind of confrontation is tough. But he says, go point out their fault. Ah, uh, who are you to judge somebody else, right? Isn't that the response you're going to get from most people today? Who do you think you are calling me out on something, right? That's why your standard can't be, well, it's my opinion, or that's how I feel about it, or that's what the studies show. What's got to be the standard? God's Word. You see, one thing you might do when you go talk to them is actually know what the Scripture says about that so you can tell them that. See, they, get, they need to see and hear it from God. You're just going to be the messenger. I always tell people, please don't shoot the messenger, but they do sometimes anyway, right? And that's why confrontation's hard. That's why it's tough. But you're just showing. It helps if you can just read the verse with them. Have, say, would you read this too? Or just read it out loud. Here's what it says in God's Word. You see, that way... Whether they accept it or receive it or not, at least you've directed them to what God says about that. Not just what you said about that. So truth necessitates confrontation. But truth must be, and I've already talked about this, the third one is it must be rooted in Christ. Listen, how do we have the right to proclaim the truth? What gives us the right to do that? Well, Paul says, look at verse 3 and 4. It says, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, and yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Paul says, oh yeah, I'm weak and I don't really have any authority over your life, but I know the one who does. And why does he have that authority? Because he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by God's power. That's why he has the authority to speak into these things in your life. 
He conquered sin and death. Nobody else has. That's why he has the authority that he has over you. You see, you point them to Jesus every time. You point them to Jesus. In the confrontation, you don't point them to me and how smart I am and I know Greek and Hebrew and I know all, you know, I can figure all this stuff. You just point them to Jesus. Here's what he says about this. Because then they've got to resolve this with Jesus. And I hope they'll resolve it with you, but even if they don't, what's more important, that they get resolved with who? With Jesus. That's the more important thing. I want them to get their lives resolved with Jesus. Now, if they do, they'll probably, if I'm still alive, come back to me and thank me for that. But it's okay if they don't, right? Because I love them, and I just wanted them to get right with Jesus anyway, whether they got right with me or not. I wanted them to get right with Jesus. It has to be rooted in Jesus Christ. He gives us the right to proclaim the truth. Notice in Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission. Part of it's 18 and 19, those two verses. Here's what he said. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And later on he says, And I'll be with you always to the end of the age, right? So he says, On this earth, when everybody's yelling and screaming different things that can't all be true, He says, I have on this earth, what? All authority on the earth. I have it in heaven too, but I have it on the earth too. We forget. He has all authority right here, right now on the earth. And then he says, understanding that, now here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? By by the power of the Trinity, of the Godhead, you get to speak the truth into people's lives and call them to come follow after Jesus. It's not by our authority. It's rooted in his authority that we're supposed to be doing this. I want people to like me. Well, I want them to like Jesus more. I want them to like Jesus more because Jesus conquered sin and death and they need to know Jesus. They need to know the truth so they can know Jesus. Well, there's a fourth thing we need to do with truth and that is it demands self-examination too. If I'm going to do that, then I need to go through this process of self-examination. Look at verse 5 through 8. Here's what he says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now, we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may have seemed to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Paul's saying this needs to happen two ways, this self-examination thing. He says, I want you to examine yourself to see if what I'm calling you out on lines up with the truth or not. You need to put that to the test in your life, okay? But he said, I also want you to put me to the test. Because if you're going to listen to me, if I'm going to have influence in your life and speak into your life, then you need to put me to the test too. Do I, am I lining up with Scripture? Right? Put it to the test. Let's see. 
I've, I have for my whole ministry told people at the churches I was pastoring, uh, even though I say it from the stage or from the pulpit, don't just swallow it. Put it to the test, right? The scripture says test everything. So he's encouraging them, you test your life against scripture, but you test what I'm telling you, my life against scripture too. Let's, let's examine ourselves here to see if we are where we need to be. One of my favorite teachings of Jesus, because I like humor, is found in the, uh, the passage where he, he tells people in Matthew 7, in that Sermon on the Mount, uh, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what he's saying? Examine yourself first before you go try to make correction in somebody else's life. I like the humor because he's actually literally saying, you know, you could picture it. Uh, you're trying to get a speck out of somebody's eye. A speck's a problem, right? You got something in your eye. It irritates. It's not a good thing. You want them to help them get that speck out of their eye. And you're going up with a pair of tweezers and a plank sticking out of your eye. Right? Here, let me get that for you. All right. Are you going to let that person put the tweezers in your eye? No, neither am I. All right. So get that plank out of your eye first. Then get your eyes cleared up so you can see clearly. Does he say don't try to get the speck out of your brother's eye? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not telling you and, and giving you, letting you off the hook for getting the speck out of your brother's eye. No, he's saying clear up your eyes first and then go get the speck out of your brother's eye. Get your self-examination done. Get your life lined up. Then still go to your brother and help him get the speck out of his eye. clear teaching from scripture we are supposed to do that for our brothers and sisters that kind of confrontation is not easy but we're commanded we're instructed as Christ followers to help others get the speck out of their eye which means we have to examine our own lives to be able to do that well so so far what have we got We've got truth requires confirmation. It necessitates confrontation. It demands self-examination. But I want to close with this one. It's the most important one to put with this. If you don't, none of the others are going to go well. And that is that it must be balanced with compassion. It must be balanced with compassion if you're going to be effective with this. And Paul, in finishing up this letter, is trying to balance the whole thing with the compassion that God wants them to have toward them. Let's pick up with verse 9. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may fully, be fully restored, right? That's, that was the whole intent. He's encouraging them the whole time. Get back where you need to be. Be restored in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, be strong again in the Lord. Be the witness you need to be. He's trying to encourage them to take all those steps they need to take. He says in verse 10, this is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Paul's saying, oh, I'm praying that you'll go ahead and get these things done before I have to see you face to face again. I don't want to have to be harsh with you again, face to face in person. I'd rather you just listen and make the changes you need to make from the letter. Won't our visit be so much more pleasant if you do that before I get there? He said, guys, I love you. I don't want to have to be harsh with you. I never wanted to have to do that because I love you. It says in verse 11, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. 
Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to know how much he loves them. And then he's only told them these things, tried to get them to make these corrections. He had to be hard with them because he loves them so much. He wants them to be full fully restored in their walk with Christ. He wants them to have all the blessings that come with that, all the joy that comes with that. And friends, if you don't have a church, if you're just visiting with us here where you're getting that, you better find one. Because they don't love you very much if they're not willing to do this for you. And we're not perfect at it at Lakeshore. We're not. We're not claiming to be. But we've got leaders here, teachers here that are willing, that are willing to do this. And they do it with me, they do it with everybody. And I'm so grateful for it. But you are the church too. Don't just expect the pastor to do it. Don't just expect the elders or the life group leaders to do it. You're called. You're called to be one of those people that speaks into people's lives and calls them back to the truth of Jesus Christ because here's the thing. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ that their lives can be blessed the way God wants them to be blessed. And it's only in the truth of what Jesus says about life that they get to experience those blessings. If you love people, you want them to experience those blessings. I'll close with a story. There was a guy, John Goh, who was attending a church service and they were... Finishing up the service with a song, Just As I Am, a good old hymn. How many of you remember the old hymn, Just As I Am? I came forward to that song when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And in that song, they're singing it, and they're standing, and they're singing. And he said, there's this guy behind me that was the most off-key, awful singer I've ever heard in my life. He said, it was literally grinding on me to hear what was coming out of this guy's mouth. It was awful. And we sang through the first three stanzas, and then there was this musical interlude, and I thought, man, we're almost done. I don't think I can take any more of this. And a hand, he said, came on my shoulder, and a guy said to him, could you tell me the first few words of the next stanza? I think I could get it if you just tell me the first few words. He said, I turned around and looked, and the guy was blind. And he said, I looked down at the book, and I saw the next line, and it said this, just as I am. Poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come. He said, when the next stanza started and I heard that blind man singing that, <laughs> I didn't hear any of the off-key things anymore. It wasn't hurting me to hear it anymore. I was blessed by knowing that we all come to him poor, and wretched and blind. I needed to be reminded that we all need healing. And healing is found in the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ we find the truth. That he is the way and the truth and the life. He's the way to you. And all the blessings you want for us. I pray that if there's anyone today who needs to come and follow after Jesus and come into the truth of your word so that they could find healing and restoration with you. 
that they would take that step today, whatever the need is. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.